Hello, Faith Community Church, uh, our online campus, city campus, Wellington campus. I'm really so thankful to be able to gather with you here today to worship God and listen to His Word. And also want to welcome those of you who are here for the first, second, or third time. I, and I pray that you will find God speaking to you personally and powerfully. I tell a story. When I was a young Christian attending this uh, church for the first few times, there was this one service. I really felt the presence of God. So when the service has finished, I stayed back and sat on my seat. And I looked forward and there were these two people talking about four to five rows in front of me. And I obviously couldn't hear what they were saying, but I was looking at them and suddenly, I heard this lady, I, I recognized that she's a leader in the church. I heard her say, did you hear God speak to you today? And then she kept talking. I didn't hear her say whatever anymore. And then I was stunned. And then I said, yes, God, I heard you today. So I pray that God will speak to you in a very powerful and meaningful way this morning. Today we land our series on the discipleship convictions, and I hope that you have been blessed in these uh, last three messages. In the first message, we look at how important it is uh, to be in a connect group, to be in a small group, because that's where you find biblical community in which you experience and also express God to one another. And then in the second message, Pastor Dan Yen talked to us about evangelism cannot be delinked from discipleship. And he shared with us that the task of evangelism is an urgent one. Last week, Dr. Dan Moore talked to us about the Holy Spirit because the whole discipleship process must be empowered by the Holy Spirit and he encouraged us to walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God. And this morning, I want to talk about the 12th conviction, and that is spiritual maturity evidenced by Christ-likeness is the end goal. A few months ago, a leader during a group discussion raised the question, what is the difference between maturity and spiritual maturity? I thought that was a really, really good question. So if you have that question, Pastor Dan's number is 0412345678910. Okay, no, not, not so many numbers. Uh, that was a real good question. So I had to think about it. And I thought today's message really helps me to have clarity and to be able to address that. Now, if maturity is just about having substantial life experiences, insights, to many issues, or even admirable moral character, then people who are non-Christians can also have maturity, right? So what is the difference about this spiritual maturity that we Christians are trying to pursue? And that's what we want to talk about today. I want to talk about what is the mark of maturity as explained by the scripture. And we know that discipleship, spiritual maturity is a supernatural process. God is here to empower us, to help us to get to where we need to go, to 
attain spiritual maturity. So I want to talk about also the means, God's provision for us. And lastly, I believe that there is a missional purpose for spiritual maturity. And that missional purpose is going to affect your family, your marriage, your children, your workplace, your school, our society, our nation, and the nations beyond. So I've entitled my message today as the mark, means, and mission of spiritual maturity. Today, the main text is taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13, but I'm going to read for you from verse 1 to give you the context and also a greater conviction of what verse 11 and verse, uh, to verse 13 is going to teach us. So let me read for you from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And this is in the King James Version. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is one, there is one body, and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he may fill all things. So from verse 1 to 10, Paul was teaching the church how they are supposed to be one and they are one. And he was urging the believers to keep the unity of the body and he also told them that every one of you are gifted uniquely. And now I read from verse 11. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God onto a perfect man, onto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I ask you to pray with me right now. God, I thank you that you are a God who speaks. God, this whole subject matter of discipleship Spiritual maturity is such a deep and profound one. And if we are able to do discipleship well, its implications are deep, far, and wide. And the same if we don't. God, I just pray this morning that you will come and speak to us. God, that we will hear your voice clearly. I ask God that you will just use me as your mouthpiece so that when people hear the words from my mouth, God, it will not just be hearing my thoughts, my story, my perspectives, 
but you'll be hearing you. God, it is your word that has power to change. It is not my interpretation of the scripture, the vocabulary I put together to articulate a thought. It, the power is in your word. So I pray, God, that we will hear you, your word, your voice speaking to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. May all of God's people say, Amen. Today we begin with the end in mind and start by looking at verse 13 that says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The, number one, the mark of spiritual maturity is the fullness of Christ in us. It is about us growing as a disciple to come to a point where we experience the unity in the body of Christ that leads to us having the fullness of Christ being experienced in the church, which is us, the body of Christ. One way to understand spiritual maturity is also to try and see what the Bible tells us about immaturity. So there's contrast. I want to read for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. And it tells us what is immaturity. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. So that's immaturity. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. Now this is how Paul described immaturity. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Spiritual maturity is not just about an individual's moral conduct. It is about us doing what we can to build and contribute to the unity of the body so that this church, the local church, the body of Christ that we belong to can experience Jesus in His fullness. And that is why in Psalm 133, we read that when God's people dwell together in unity, that there God will command His blessings and life forevermore. The anointing of God will flow through a body that is united. And what does it mean to have the fullness of Christ? I think, I submit to you, it is to have in the church the same presence and power of Christ we read in the gospel. I think about Jesus healing the woman whose back was bent for 18 years. I think about Jesus ministering to the Samaritan women whom no Jews would talk to. I think about the deliverance of the demon-possessed man who was chained up and even the chains couldn't tie him down. Such torment that he was going through but Jesus delivered him. I think about Jesus reaching out to the tax collector that everyone hated. And I think about Jesus restoring Peter even after he had denied him. A church with the fullness of Christ is 
a place where every person will come to experience Christ exactly as they read in the gospel. Francis Chan wrote in his book, Until Unity, don't try to comfort yourself with verses like John chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before he hated you. The world currently hates us, not because we resemble Jesus, but because we don't. Now Francis Chan, for me, I think he's a real prophet. So this is very hard hitting. Uh, I just want to say he's not talking about you. Okay, you are good. But uh, it's hard hitting and it caused me to think. We talk so much about unity. It's almost a cliche. I mean, who, who, who will say we, we don't want unity in the church? Now, the truth is, it takes effort to build unity. We must be intentional, but there's also a, obviously a supernatural dimension where God does His work through a people who are intentional, who are desiring for it. But it's delicate, and I give you three reasons why division exists in the church. Personality, methodology, and theology. When I talk about, now theology is a tough one, so I'm gonna address it later, right? Now, personality, I don't mean character trait, I just mean person, right? a, a person. And I think this is something that we must be very conscious about as we emphasize on discipleship and the multiplying of ourselves. I think when we disciple people, it is not about ourselves that we want to see replicated in the person we are discipling. What we want is for the person to follow Jesus. The problem, just now we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, with the church was they pledged their loyalty to a person and not to Christ. Many, many years ago when I was young, uh, as you've also said this, we must be careful not to make disciples of the church, but rather disciples of Christ. Now, similarly, I think we must be careful not to make disciples of a person, but the person of Christ. Now, we often mention the words of Paul that says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So it's like you're following Paul. But obviously from the scripture, you know that Paul was going to point people to Christ. Now, if you really, really want to imitate Paul, then what happens is you have to do what you don't want to do and you do not do what you want to do because that was Paul's experience. So it is not about a person, a man that you follow. It's about Jesus Christ. So don't let personality bring division or cause disunity in the church. Second is methodology. There's no holy grail in methodology. I remember many years ago, someone uh, came up with this uh, whole thought about when the church does evangelism, it should not be attractional, it should be missional. Okay, let me explain to you. So what he meant was, for the longest time, the way the church has done, has done evangelism is, we ask people to come to church, have a good program, let them listen to this one preacher preaching, and this one preacher preaching will get them saved. And he said, that's not the way we see evangelism um, being done in the Bible. 
evangelism in the Bible is missional. It's about all of you going out of the church, outside of the four walls of the church and reaching people, touching people's life, sharing the gospel with them and bring them to Christ wherever they are. Now, is that correct? Of course that's correct. But do I dismiss attractional evangelism? Of course not, because uh, I came to church and got saved, right? So there's no point arguing about methodology. And the other thing is about uh, liturgy. Liturgy is basically the order of service. I grew up in uh, a church where we have this order of service, the same every week. And at one point in the service, uh, similar to what Pastor Dan, uh, sorry, Pastor Dave said just now, take 30 seconds to greet people. What we do is during this time of greeting people, the priest will stand and say, may the peace of God be with you. And then the whole congregation will respond, and also with you. Can we practice that? May the peace of God be with you. Yeah, okay. Thank you very much. And then uh, the priest will say, now I want you to go around and exchange the peace of God with one another. All right? So they will go around and say, may the peace of God be with you. But I was new to the church. So that really stunned me like, you know, what am I going to say here? I didn't know what to say. So the first person I talked to, I said, rest in peace. I mean, that's not wrong. I mean, well, you can understand what I was thinking, right? That's not wrong. I mean, have a good rest and be in peace, right? Yeah. And I said that to the second person. Now, I, I really can't remember how many people I said to and how many services I did that. Uh, but after a few times, I thought to myself, I think that is wrong. <laughs> anyway. And... Yeah, liturgy, methodology. You don't have to be divided over that. And when it comes to methodology, I tell you what, let's be creative, let's be innovative. Let's encourage people to try new things. Because if we don't try new things, we can't reach maybe the people we haven't been able to reach, right? And I always have this thing in my mind. When we pray that the Lord will do it again. I'm not saying that God do it the same. I always think about the power of innovation, the power of creativity. I mean, before iPod, there was no iPod, right? Before iPad, there was no iPad. Before Pastor Benny, there was no Pastor Benny. Before Pastor Dan, there was no Pastor Dan. Pastor Benny is who Pastor Benny is. Pastor Dan is who Pastor Dan is because there's no one like them before them. So go out and go and try, try something new. If you succeed, we all rejoice with you. If you fail, we just say, we try. So, we don't have to swabble over methodology. The third one is a bit tricky, it's theology. This is really tricky. So I'm going to explain to you my view by telling you a story. In the 1500s, uh, during the Reformation movement, there were two very prominent Reformation leaders. Uh, one is in Germany, his name is Martin Luther, and the other one is Swiss, his name is Zwingli. Now, there, that, that was a time where the Protestant church was pretty new because 
you know, the Reformation movement was just, uh, was just born. And there were a lot of pressure and attack from outside against the Protestant movement. And one of the things that the pro Protestant leaders were trying to do was to get these two people to work together, Luther and Zwingli. But they had one strong theological difference, and that's on communion. L L Martin Luther believed that the bread and the wine that you drink are the real flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. Zwingli didn't believe that. Zwingli says that Jesus is in heaven, so the bread and the wine that we take, simply, they are just symbolic and represents the, the person of Jesus. So they couldn't agree to the point that Luther actually said, we do not have the same spirit. And they just parted. Many historians would say that because they weren't able to work together, they missed an opportunity to strengthen the Protestant movement and the consequences were felt for 500 years. So what am I saying here? I think when we hear a sermon, many times we interpret the sermon, the teaching, through the lenses of our past experiences or the, the, the teachings that we have heard. And we have our different opinion on things that are said. I think what is really important, like what we always said, that is that in essential unity, in the non-essential liberty, in all things, charity. The challenge is, for us, we don't have unity on what is essential. You know, we can't agree. But I think it is spoken enough that the most important doctrine that we must have is that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That salvation is by grace through faith alone. All right? Now, other theological perspectives, whatever and however strongly we feel, I think what we must do is submit it to God and ask ourselves, not how I can assert my position, but how my posture can contribute to the unity of the body. Now, issues that divide are very delicate. And what is important for us is, as we look at those issues around us, they are delicate, we must not miss the heart of the Father. We must look up and have a sense of how our Heavenly Father feels. One evening, I was having dinner with my children, and I'm very thankful for my children the Lord has gifted them very uniquely. And I don't think they were all, I think they will all be in different industries uh, when they grow up to work. So with their different unique giftings and talents, I felt that it would be so good if they can help one, an one another. You know, when, when they grow up, they will go, go to work and when, when they have a need, they can reach out to their siblings and just be able to receive support and help. So I, I told them during their dinner, I said, you know, you guys are so 
different and uniquely gifted. I want you to help one another. And then, as I was saying that, there was a divine moment, a moment where I felt almost like the heart of God presses on my heart, and I said this to them, but I want you to know the greatest desire I have for you is to love one another. I think that reflects the heart of our Heavenly Father. Unity is also a supernatural work. It is the desire and the heart of our Heavenly Father, and He does give us supernatural provision, provision from on high to help us achieve unity and spiritual maturity. And this brings me to the second point, means. What are the means? It is the gifts of Christ to us. Verse 11, we read, and He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Uh, I learned this about how to memorize the fivefold ministry. Pastor Benny has shared that before. I also learned something just a little bit different when I was younger. So the fivefold ministry, right? you use your palm. The apostle is the thumb because the thumb gives you the grip. It holds things together, right? And then uh, the index finger is the prophet because they point away. The next finger is evangelist because they reach the furthest. The ring finger is the pastor because pastors marry you. All right, and then your little pinky is the teacher because teachers dig your ear. Okay, so very easy to remember, right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And what are they given for? The Bible tells us they are given for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, the reason why I use King James Version for my text is because King James Version used the word perfecting, which I think more accurately describes what uh, the fivefold ministry will do for us instead of other translations that use the word equip. Now, when you read, therefore, when you read the verse and you, in other translations, it says equip, the sentence goes something like equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So the picture it gives you is that the fivefold ministries are there to hand you tools and to develop skills in you to help you to be able to perform the tasks that God has given to you. Now, that is accurate, but that's not adequate. Perfecting is better. Perfecting in the Greek is katastismos. And it means to fit, to put you in the place that you need to be, to complete you, to make you whole, to mend and to repair. There's a time when maybe you experience brokenness. Perfecting means that God can bring restoration and healing in your life. To put in order when your life is in chaos. To prepare you, to strengthen you, to equip you. Yes, also to give you tools and to train you. And very importantly, to make you, to make one what he ought to be. So perfecting is not just about skills development, but holistic discipleship that will build you in every area and in every season. 
So let's go through the fivefold ministry a little bit. Now, this is not a teaching seminar on the fivefold ministry. Okay, I'm just observing certain corrected traits of the anointing in relation to the fivefold ministry. Now, when it comes to the apostolic, I think apostolic is very exciting. For me, apostolic is a call to action. You know, it inspires faith for me to believe God that He can do something powerful. I was talking to a cell leader a few weeks ago, and we talked about our goal of having 500 connect groups every day, everywhere, for everyone. Currently, we have about 100. So I say, let's go for 500. We say, let's go for 500. And we were talking about, you know, then working backwards, what must we do, and so on and so forth. And then we say, now, 500 is the number that we want, but what does God want? And we pause for a moment, we say, we think God wants 5,000. For the number of laws that are out there, God wants as, God wants as many connect groups as we are able to form. If we have 5,000 connect groups, that means all of you here who can be a connect group leader, you are of age to be a connect group leader, you will be a connect group leader. And I think to myself, wow, that's very inspiring. I'm going to make everyone a connect group leader. One church I knew in Singapore, their vision statement is every member a missionary. Uh, thank God I'm not making you a missionary, right? Just a connect group leader. <laughs> But everyone is involved. That's great. But you know, in your seasons of life, it's not every time you can be so inspired to action. There are times when you experience fatigue. You're tired. Maybe you're disappointed. Maybe you experience hurt. I learned this when I was in Bible school. I, I grew up in a church that wasn't very strong pastorally. And my leadership style was very task-oriented. So when I meet people, there must be an agenda. Without an agenda, the meeting is futile. I will not go to a meeting if I do not know what I can get out of that meeting. So that was how task-oriented I was. I was a good guy, but just very task-oriented. But I wasn't very pastoral. When I was in Bible school, uh, we, we did a course on counseling. And as a good student, I follow every step, okay? And we came to this uh, mock counseling session, and I was given a missionary on furlough. So I sat there, and I began to just, you know, listen to her, and just prompt her with some questions. And, and at some point in the conversation, she broke down, and she cried. She was a missionary on furlough, coming back to Perth. I was doing Bible school in Perth then. And as she wept, something touched my heart. And I realized to myself, even a missionary needs a break. And that's when I recognized how important pastoral ministry is. Evangelists will encourage you to reach as many people as possible. You know, our prophets will bring correction to your life. Our teachers will help you have clarity for what you want to do. And I was thinking about this fivefold ministry one day, and I was, I, I, love my, I love our cell leaders. I was thinking to myself, sometimes I think 
the role of the cell leader is like fivefold ministries all rolled into one. First, they have to teach, they have to lead the, you know, the, the CG word well, facilitate well, and make sure everybody understands. And then, not only that, they have to show care and pastor the people well, shepherd the people well. And not only that, they also have to model evangelism, mobilize for evangelism like an evangelist. And sometimes they have to be like a prophet to be able to confront and to correct. And then when it comes to multiplying the cell group, they have to be an apostle. I was thinking to myself, is it possible for a cell leader to do all the fivefold ministries in this one person? It's just impossible, right? So how many of you agree it's not possible? May all the cell leaders say, amen. So what does that tell us? That tells us that the responsibility to make the connect group vibrant, healthy, God-centric, does not, the responsibility does not solely lie on the shoulders of the cell leader or the connect group leader. It is the responsibility of every single person in the connect group. May all the connect group leaders say, yeah, not loud enough. Okay, so <laughs> it's up to you. And I'm just trying to help you, right? And yeah, so in a connect group, let every single person play their role because you are uniquely gifted by God. And so as you have received, as you are perfected, you do the ministry. And the Bible says when you do the ministry, you edify the body. Now, edify is... In Greek, is the word oikodome. It's a compound word, oikos, that means home or tabernacle. Dome, it means to build. That means to build a home. It is the act of building up, promoting growth in Christian wisdom, devotion, happiness, and holiness. Now, this edifying, this building up of the body is a responsibility we all share, not just, the five, not just something that a five-fold ministry must do. So, in the King James Version, we see that the fivefold ministry, they are given for the perfecting of the saints, for uh, the edifying of the body, and for the work of the ministry. So when you read that, you think that these are the three specific tasks that they do. So in other versions, they combine them and make it clearer. So for example, uh, in one version, it says that it is for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of, of the body, which basically means that the fivefold ministry are given to equip all of us, to perfect all of us, so that we can do the work of the ministry and in doing the work of the ministry, we'll build up the body. Now, this is what God has given to us, the fivefold ministry to help us to do the work of the ministry that will contribute to the building of the body. I come to my last point, which is the missional aspect of spiritual maturity. The mission is the great commission of Christ through us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 5, we read, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but He was chosen by God for great honour, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. In the gospel, we read an account when Jesus went to a, the temple courts, the Bible tells us, and chased out all the money changers. He was so angry 
Now, the temple courts is an area of the temple that was reserved for the Gentiles to come and pray to God. So, when the money changers did what they did, they robbed the Gentiles of the only place they can come to experience God. And Jesus was so angry with them. And so Jesus chased them away. And then Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, some people interpret it, which is not wrong, that the house of God is a place where you pray for other nations. But it is also true that the house of God is a house of prayer for all nations means that all nations can come to the house of God and pray and experience God. And so we must, in our church, in our strive for spiritual maturity, have a place in our programs, in our hearts, to reach the lost. I love to play football in, in, in school when I was working. Now when I say I love to play football, people sometimes wonder whether I'm the football or the footballer. So there was this particular match that I will always remember. I was playing the last man in defense, okay? And my team was attacking, and then the opposition got the ball. So they launched a counter-attack. They passed the ball to their striker. And you know what? I'm fast, but he was faster. <laughs> so I ran with all my might towards him. And then he was so fast. I was about to give up, and then suddenly I heard a voice from my teammates, one of my teammates, and he said, Tio, that's how they call us by surname, he said, Tio, you are the last man. Oh, that really stirred something within me. I conjured up all the energy I had, and I ran towards the striker, made the sliding tackle of my life, got the ball off him, and saved my team from a certain goal. I am the last man. For the people around you who have never heard the gospel who have, or who have not yet come to Christ, you are their last man. You know why? Because in this life, you are their last chance to hear the gospel. That's why there's an urgency we must feel in our hearts. Can I have the musicians to come to the stage? And that's why we must continue to pray. Because when you look at the world out there, it is impossible that we, by our own human, uh, anything we can conjure up humanly to change our world and lead our world to Christ, it's just impossible. I read a stat uh, some time ago. Uh, it's a stat that has always been uh, shown. And the stat says that most people come to Christ at 18 years and below. From 19 years and above, the rate of people coming to Christ is three in 100. So on one hand, you can use these stats to tell people, to ask the church to make sure you focus and invest on reaching the young people, and that we must do. But do, do you know that it is also true that people who are 20 years and above are hard to reach for Jesus? And no amount of intelligence or hard work can we reach them. 
Because if it is by hard work, we can save a country, many countries would have been saved. Singapore would have been saved 10 years ago. I'm not saying Singaporeans work hard, but they work hard. <laughs> if it is by intelligence, Perth would, be, would have been saved 20 years ago. Perth people are smart. But we will never be able to be smart enough, to work hard enough to see our nation come to Christ. That's why we must go on our knees and pray for revival. And we must want revival now. One day when I was thinking about revival, I prayed to God. I said, God, I don't want to read about revival that other people write. I want to write about the revival I'm experiencing right here, right now. I want to write them so that other people can read. I don't, want to, I don't want to hear about the revival that people, other people are experiencing. I want to experience revival right here, right now and tell it to other people so that they know. Now, I'm not saying that I want revival here, not there. But it's just a strong desire that we need revival, that we want revival now because without which, now whatever your definition of revival is, it's an output outpouring of the Holy Spirit that can do above and beyond what we can ask or imagine humanly speaking. We just can't do it by ourselves. That's why we need the power of God. And we need it now. Because we are the last man for our generation. We, we are the last chance for the people around us to hear the gospel. We can't do anything for the people that have gone before us. For the people who are yet to come, who knows? But the only people that I know, that we know, are the people right here, right now. We want revival right here, right now, because the pain that we see people suffering due to mental illness is enough. The trauma that people have experienced because of domestic violence is enough. The brokenness that people have experienced because of dysfunctional, dysfunctional families is enough. Now, if the church is really the church that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against, then we must be the church that draws a line in the sand and say enough is enough and begin to push back against the forces of darkness. And we will win. We will take back. The Bible says, the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Then we, the church, will recover what has been stolen, will resurrect what has been killed, will restore and repair what has been damaged. But we need, and we can only do it on our knees in prayer. Dia Modi said a, a quote that inspires many of us. He said, the world has not seen what God can do with a man fully consecrated to Him. I aim to be that man. That's true and that should inspire all of us. But I think we can tweak the statement a little bit and say the world has not yet seen what God can do with a church fully united in Him and for Him. And we aim to be that church. May all of God's people say,
So just let me recap. The mark of spiritual, spiritual, sp- spiritual maturity is the fullness of Christ in us. And when people come, they experience the Christ they read in the Bible fully. And it is the work of God. The means is the gift of Christ to us. The Bible ministry given to us to perfect us so that we can do the work of the ministry to build up the body. And the missions of spiritual maturity is the great commission of Christ through us. May we be the church that will fulfill the great commission in our lifetime. Let's pray together. God, we just want to thank you for your word to us. I just want to thank you, God, for this privilege of being able just to share what's on my heart. But God, it is not really my heart that I want people to hear. I just want us to hear your heart. Time will pass, and what I say, if it is just only human words, will also just pass. But God, it is your word that will remain. So I pray, God, that whatever and however you have spoken to your people today will remain in our hearts. And Lord, we just want to come together to be the church you want us to be in unity so that the fullness of Christ can be made manifest in this place and that people will come in to experience and encounter the Jesus Christ they read, they read in the gospel. We give thanks to you. We commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. May all of God's people say,